this is Alan Appel, and you are listening to This Day in New Haven History on WNHH 103.5 FM Community Radio in the Elm City and streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. Thank you for joining us on our time travel machine, and by us I mean myself and Jason Bischoff-Wurzel of the wonderful New Haven Museum. Hi, Jason. Hi, Alan. So, Jason, we are continuing to be in the wonderful year of 1911, and Boy, there's some dangerous stuff going on in the streets of New Haven today. Yes, and on October 26, 1911, apparently this was just commonplace, but there was a uh, a notice and sort of suggestion to remain safe uh, in a way that today we would uh, distinctly find dangerous all around and frowned upon, to say the very least. And this was the disposal, the common disposal of leaves. And uh, but connected with a possible danger of setting your automobile on fire. Setting your automobile on fire because you've got fallen leaves. It's the end of October, and there are plenty more leaves yet to fall, I would imagine. I'm thinking the leaves fall on the street in 1911 pretty much the way they fall in 2016. Right. So by now, there is a batch that you could set fire to. Um, And that, getting that the way of disposal in 1911 was the commonplace was lighting your leaves on fire rather than bagging them. Yeah. Now bagging we, them, putting them in to a, a bag, having the trucks come around, pick them up or putting them in the back of your property, composting them. No, the, the way to get rid of them was pile them up and light them up. Um, I think one of the interesting things is, is that this, well, Burning leaves in the street, the issue, as, as our, our listeners will pick up immediately, is that um, they might set the automobiles on fire. Yes. You know, it, what it, it strikes me that it's, it, the, the citizens uh, of the city w- were still getting used to the idea of autom- automobiles with tanks of gasoline yeah. uh, being on their streets. They yeah. didn't know what might ignite them. Right. Like some kid walking by whistling at too high a frequency. Yeah. All right. Up a car. All right, so read this thing. It's very entertaining. So in this case, one of the dangers of burning leaves in the streets is the possibility of automobiles being set on fire. When the leaves are on fire, the flames spread very quickly, and there's no telling what might happen in a lively gutter fire. And if a lively gutter fire should start under the gasoline tank of an automobile. Oh, so your automobile has got to be parked in your driveway. Is that the issue here? So in order to be near... I guess they're concerned about gutter fires getting out of hand. I would imagine a gutter fire to be on the side of the street where... Oh, the gutter. I'm sorry. I'm thinking like a gutter, a leader down from a... No, no, no. no. Oh, the gutter of the street. They're referring to to the side of the street here, I I would say. That's all right. I have seen the leaves very thick in under automobiles with fires often close by and often wondered... How the machines escaped harm. Isn't it great the way they talk about the machines? It's like it's like Terminator. Yes. <laughs> the machines are on the street. Auto, auto owners ought to use great caution in leaving their machines when fires are about, and the police ought to be more strict in the enforcement of the law which forbids the kindling of fires in the highways. So apparently it was against the law. These fires do little damage to the permanent pavements. So he likes to point that out. Hmm. Um, 
Is there a distinction between the the laws uh, enforcing no burning of leaves on a is a highway different from a street here? I don't know if they're they're getting that. It could be. I mean, a highway has a different designation. Uh, I'm not sure if they had different laws in the case of the burning or if this being kind of like, you know, it's New Haven and it's New Haven in 1911 or 2016. And depending on where you go in New Haven, certain certain things are enforced a little heavier than other things. Right. We kind of, you know. Right. We got other things to worry about. I'm sure all this leaf burning near near uh, flammable automobiles was very, very heavy action in Fairhaven. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> that's what you were implying, I think. Um, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it, it's so interesting to, to talk about machines. That, I mean, there's a kind of nostalgia on the part of this writer for it's as if if, if the uh, editorial in here in the Saturday Chronicle went on another paragraph, they might, the writer might say, what if there were, bring back the wonderful era of horses. And if there were, if there was a fire from leaves in the street, the horse would just move. Yeah, the horse would know. And if the horse caught on fire, well, <laughs> that it was a dumb horse. You know, no loss. All right. Better to get rid of a dumb horse than a smart horse. All right. So, yeah, technology is obviously shifting. We're having a shift in 1911. And uh, with that, you change your habits. And part of that was requiring people to change their burning habits or rather acknowledge the law. Meanwhile, across town, more land for Yale Field has yeah. been purchased. So in addition to burning your leaves in a legal or, or, or illegal um, method, the other big activity always in the fall is football, especially here in New Haven. And here's a piece, the first time this man has appeared in anything that you've brought in. Um, a name synonymous with Yale football. Yes, we, we, we talked about him briefly the other week, but uh, with, with the practice below the lamp. But this is Mr. Walter Camp, father of American football here and that began here at Yale University, Yale College at the time. And it goes on to say he has just purchased of William H. James lots 70 to 74 inclusive on Derby Avenue for the Yale Athletic Association. This new acquisition lies along the northern side of the avenue and adjoins the land bought some time ago. This addition of about 150 feet frontage will enlarge to some extent the present tract owned by the university. The warranty deeds for the lots passed the town clerk's office yesterday. So... This is where Yale Bowl is, I yes. guess. This is a, Walter Camp was busy out uh, on that side of town by Westville, on, on the edge of town, buying up land to uh, to uh, later construct the, the Yale Bowl. So that bowl, so people people didn't in the beginning play football in the in uh, in a stadium with a bowl. It was just. It was added later, I would imagine. Yes. So when was Yale Bowl added, or maybe they needed to wait for a certain amount of land to be accumulated? Uh, I want to say it was a couple of years down the line from this. I believe it just celebrated its 100th anniversary. Oh, wow. uh, Like two years ago. So really, he was doing the final purchase here to, to get it under un, underway, the construction. Uh, and also the other associated, uh, obviously it says uh, Yale Athletic Association, so the other 
uh, buildings as well, not just uh, what would become Yale Bowl. And um, basically setting up sort of the athletic uh, uh, campus out there, if you will, for Yale. And, and obviously at that point, that's a, that's a long stretch away from the current downtown campus, which, right. which nowadays we're used to uh, its continual growth and kind of spreading. And there's a, a west campus that's not even in the borders of New Haven anymore. But this, um, at the time, would have been... Uh, aside from the the boathouse down by the harbor, really would have been kind of uh, a further outpost of uh, Yale. And that's where they played football. Or uh, n- n- People didn't play football on old campus or on the green, I would imagine, correct? Probably just pick-up games with nothing royal. Nothing official. formal, yeah. Well, Walter Camp um, was long gone as a... He was a football player in the 1880s yes. and a coach somewhat after that. But do you know that at this time, apparently he was sort of as as an advisor, I guess, helping to accumulate land. He had a full-time job with the New Haven Clock Company. Yes. Because apparently the Camp family was uh, uh, somebody with the clock company. Yes. Yes. Uh, he, I believe it was Hiram uh, Camp. It was the family business, right? Yes. And, uh, yep, uh, that he ended up uh, working full-time with that, aside from uh, his responsibilities with Yale, uh, kind of all-around, one of these uh, all-around New Haven uh, citizens that were involved in, in several different things. And uh, the football that he's remembered for uh, was just, in essence, uh, at times a hobby, if you will, and, and definitely a side more of a side venture to his his day job being at the New Haven Clock Company. Well, he was an executive, I would imagine. Yes. And the New Haven Clock Company was situated? That was nearby here. Uh, that would have been over, I believe, on Hamilton Street hmm. uh, here in uh, close by in Fairhaven. And the building, actually, uh, some of that complex is still uh, around. Oh, right. And Near Van current. Dome. Yes. Yes, right. <laughs> Exactly. Where right I've, over uh, there. That I frequent regularly. Uh, All right. Who would have known that the guy who uh, created the scrimmage line and um, I think reduced the number of players from 15 or 20 down to 11 was the New Haven Clock Company? That's great. You heard it here on the fall news from 1911 on this day in New Haven history. Thank you for uh, joining me, Jason. Thank you. See you uh, on our next episode on WNHH 103.5 FM.